The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together, won't you? Come on, hallelujah. Somebody say praise God. Woo! All right, get your Bibles out, please, and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we have a custom if you join us, let's all stand up on our feet. Come on, get a little cardio church. Come on. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 1 through 20 in a special message on this Easter Sunday, reading from the New International Version. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can look to the screens as they place that up there now. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, everybody say the way. All right, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Those who belong to the way, that's the church, any believers. Whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound but not, did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. In other words, he's seen a vision of you. He saw you, Ananias. Come place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard of this mighty terrorist, because that's what he was. It doesn't say that. I, I added that. Okay. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, <laughs> that's amazing. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road 
as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And verse 20, the final verse for this morning in this main text, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done. For your power, Lord, that's present, for touching, for healing, for encouraging, for strengthening. Now, God, as we preach your word, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that you might be so gracious to once again take a coal from the altar. Lord, place it upon my lips that as I preach, it would burn faith in the hearts of those that hear. I pray that today's service would have far-reaching effects even to eternity. I'm asking God, even this morning, and as we enter into this early afternoon, that if there are those who've never made a decision to live for you, that they would choose to do that even today, that you would do a work in their heart. I take authority over every distraction, over any demon power, any assignment that would try to rob people from salvation and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. All of us are called to be witnesses. Every one of us is called to be a witness. Some of the people who knew you before you came to Jesus. Now, we do have notes. Do y'all have notes? All right. If you don't have notes, if you'd raise your hand, the ushers would assist us. A few people now. Ushers, thank you so much. People who knew you before you came to Jesus. And then you come to Christ and they see you. It's a loud statement. I know some of you pretty well. And I know in my own life that who I was before I met the Lord and who I was after are two totally different people. Totally. And I wouldn't even have to open my mouth, nor, nor would you, if people knew you before you met Jesus, and then you meet Jesus, you repent of your sin, you receive the free gift of salvation, and a transformation takes place, and when they see you, they go, dude, what happened to you? The truth is, that's what happened to the Apostle Paul, and... The fact that you are alive today for many of you is a miracle. The fact that you're sitting in a, a room, an ice skating rink that's been converted into a sanctuary is a miracle. The fact that you have a pulse for some of you is nothing short of a miracle. The fact that you're still married today for some is a... Oh, yes, it is. It's a miracle. You know it. Come on. The fact that, you, that your kids still love you is, is a miracle. The fact that you have a child is a miracle for some. The truth is that all of us 
are to be witnesses. Come on, say with me. Say, I am a witness. Say it. Now, let me ask you this question. Either you're a witness for the Lord or maybe you're a witness for something else. All right. Roman numeral two, let's look at the text. We read the story of Saul's conversion. Now, later he's, he's called Paul, but his Hebrew name is, is Saul. We like saying it this way. Saul got so touched by God, hit so hard that it knocked the S off and put a P on. But the truth is, the truth is, is that Paul is his Greek name, which later on he goes by Paul and we know him to be the Apostle Paul. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And his story of his salvation, his, his conversion, and his commission is told in three places throughout Scripture. It's told three times in the book of Acts here. Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. The other two times, Acts 22 and Acts 26, it's told by the Apostle Paul. But here in Acts 9, it's told by Luke, who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts. It's a profound story. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. Let me read to you Acts 22, verse 3 through 5. It says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, brought up in this city. I studied under Gamil, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. So he's not only a persecutor of Christians, but if you look at your notes, he was a zealous rabbi. He was a rabbi. Saul was a rabbi. Later, he become, later he's called Paul, but he's a rabbi. That's what he is. And if you read with me in Acts 26, verse 9, it says, I too is convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, this guy was not a good guy. He was a Christian terrorist. Understand who he was very clearly. It goes on to say in Acts 26, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the Lord's people in prison and they were put to death. He's a murderer. Look, let's get it straight. The guy that wrote the three quarters of the New Testament is a murderer. Or should I say was. And when I say was, it's not because he's passed and gone on to glory. It's because he met the risen Savior. My goodness. Goes on in verse 11, Acts 26. It says, many a time I went from synagogue, one synagogue to another to have them punished, to be tried and tried to force them to blaspheme. Can you imagine having somebody come to try to force you to blaspheme? They're doing just that, by the way. ISIS and all of that. that that's what's taking place. I mean, he was the least, I mean, he was a bad dude. He was a bad man. He was an evil man. He was evil. And he's the least likely guy that you would think to be saved, to become a Christian. Least likely person. 
You know, sometimes those people that are really mean are actually closer to getting saved than you know. You're like, that's good. Praise God. Awesome. Because I know some mean people. Look at your notes. D, he's on his way to Damascus. And he has this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, And in fact, as you read the story, if you read all accounts of the story, he's traveling with some companions. He's traveling with people. He's not by himself. And all of them are knocked down. If you read all three accounts, all of them, all of them are basically knocked down, especially Acts 22 and 26. And Saul hears this voice. Again, Saul later becomes Paul. Saul hears this voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But nobody else heard the voice. Say, what's so significant about that? Well, it's significant because he gets his commission there, but it wasn't just him having a hallucination. It wasn't having a hallucination because all the other people were with him. They didn't hear the voice, but they saw the light, and they're all knocked down by the appearance of the risen Lord. In Acts 26, verse 14, it says this, We all fell down to the ground. And heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He goes on to say, these are the words of the Lord. He says, now get up and stand on your feet. Verse 16, I've appeared to you, appoint you as a servant. And as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Verse 18, very important. Verse 18. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan that they might receive, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. You see, people who don't know Jesus actually are under the power, you guessed it, of the ugly one. They're blind. They're blind. And really, they're dead. That's the truth of what Jesus is telling the Apostle Paul. He says, you're going to open their eyes from darkness to... Help me out. From darkness to... Yeah, that's what he's going to do. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the good news does. It takes people out of darkness and he opens their eyes so that they can see the light. You know the problem with being blind? (laughs) I don't mean physically blind. I mean spiritually blind. Oh, he can heal physical blindness too. We've seen that many times. Spiritually blind. The problem with being spiritually blind is you're blind. That's like being deceived. When you're deceived, you don't know it. Hence the word deceived. So Saul, if you look at E, obeys the Lord and goes to Damascus, even though he's blind. He fasts, he prays three days, and Jesus sends this disciple, Ananias. We don't hear of him before, and we don't hear of him after Ananias gets this vision from the Lord and lays hands on Saul. And he lays hands on Saul for two reasons. How many reasons? For two. So that he could be healed of his blindness, and secondly, so that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And something of scales, it says, fall from their eyes. Now, I've thought about this. Ever since I first read it many, many years ago, I thought, what does that look like? What are scales? Why was he blind? And I think one of the reasons is that the, that the Apostle Paul, or should we say Saul at this point, 
is being used as an illustration of the blindness in his own life and the blindness of Israel and those who don't have Christ. These scales fall from his eyes. And the very term blindness is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen, bump your neighbor and say, listen up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 it says the God of this age now God is not capitalized small g talking of the evil one the ugly one talking of Satan the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God so when you meet somebody and maybe there's some here today when you meet somebody who's not received the Lord who who doesn't see the the risen Savior can't believe there's something wrong. It's called blindness. And who has blinded them very simply according to the, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 4? It is Satan who blinds people from the glorious truth. And Saul becomes a powerful witness that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God. Right there, verse 20 in the text that we read, Acts 9, verse 20, says he he just began to preach. And he blew the minds of all who heard him. And in fact, so much so, he baffled people. So much so, they said, dude, we just got to kill this guy. Something, this, we just got to kill him. Saul's conversion, in your notes, if you will, Saul's conversion speaks to us. What, 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 do you, what do you mean it speaks to us, Pastor? Well, very simply, the only explanation for somebody who is a murderer, a persecutor of believers, and somebody who did what he did, the only, the only explanation is that he met the risen Savior on that road. There is no other explanation. There is no way that you can say, how can you explain somebody who has such a shift and such a radical change? He met the risen Savior. First Corinthians says in chapter 15, verse 3, for what I've received, I pass on to you. First Corinthians 15, 3, as first importance. As what kind of importance? As a first importance, it says this. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And verse 6, it says, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living. There's some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What's that about? Because he was a Christian killer. That's what he's referring to. Look, we're talking about a story that took place in a small town, smaller than Wasilla. They knew where the tomb was. They knew the story of Jesus. They knew the 500 that he appeared to. They knew these, the, these things that took place wasn't in some far land across the sea. They're writing about a story that is, that, that's history. It's not some fictitious thing made up. I mean, if you look at how the whole story comes out, all of it, as if you read the Gospels, it all points to the reality that it's true. The story has warts and everything. What do you mean? The first people, the first people the Lord appears to is a woman. Now, that's not a big deal for us today. But can I tell you, back in the day, 
of the first century, women couldn't vote. Women, women were not even counted. They're not considered. So now if you're gonna if you're gonna have a story that you make up and you have your, your hero return, the last I mean, wouldn't you have him come see Herod and just make him soil himself? Wouldn't you do something like that? Wouldn't you just put some Hollywood up on that thing? You know, he meets Herod and Herod falls over dead. No, no, no. It's a prostitute. He appears to a prostitute. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to write a story, I'm not going to have a prostitute be the first one that sees the risen Savior. Are you, are you catching me? Why is it written that way? Because it's true. There's no other way to explain it. There's no other way to explain the life of Saul changed to a Paul who, who changes really the known world. There's no other way to exchange a Mary, to, to, to explain a Mary Magdalene. There's no other way to explain your life. And there's no other way to explain mine. Jesus is Lord. He rose again from the grave. He takes your sin and mine and he comes to live inside your heart. He comes to live inside my heart and you become born again. Listen, you don't need a rule book. Thank God we have one. Thank God. The Bible, basic life instructions before leaving earth. Thank God for the word of God. But you could read this thing till you memorize all of it. It has to bring you to a place of decision. You have to receive. You say, well, I believe even the demons believe, slick. Brother, even demons believe, says the book of James. And it says they tremble. Much of America says they believe in Jesus, but there's no trembling and they don't serve him. But truth be told, it's a bunch of religious hogwash for some. I know it was that way for me. Maybe it was that way for you. The only explanation for Saul's conversion is he saw the risen Savior. And Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament over 300 different scriptures in the Old Testament that were written. Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 53. You can't read Isaiah 53 and not come away from that and go, the suffering servant pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Isaiah 53 is 700. How many years? 700. Say it. 700 years before Jesus ever came. He said, well, we don't have the original writings of Isaiah. Well, no, but we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, and those predate Jesus. And we have sections of Isaiah out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's no way to deny it. You have to have more faith to believe that he didn't exist than he does. He fulfilled over and over. I, mean, I think the Apostle Paul, when he, when he was blind and he heard that Jesus is the Messiah, when he heard that, can you imagine what was going through that young rabbi's mind as he's blind for three days? All of the Torah coming alive. Can you imagine Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? He had to be like, oh, it all makes sense. Oh, it all makes sense. He really is God. He really really is the Messiah. He really is the risen one. He really is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Look, in rabbinic schools, they were confused. They were looking for a savior to come and deliver them from Rome. They didn't understand the first advent of Isaiah 53. I think the apostle Paul just was blown away. Now to, to Saul, to the apostle Paul, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. Over and over in his writings, he said it. 
1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Everything revolves around the resurrection. Come on, somebody say he lives. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say he lives. He does live and he can help you. He can free you. He can heal you. He can take away your bondage. He can take away your pain. You can lie on your bed at night and have peace. You can lie on your bed at night and and not be tormented. You can walk in authority. You can have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control? Self-control. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. You can have a sound mind. Now, that's a miracle for some of us. Come on, wave at me, all you people. That is a miracle. Sound. Come on, you were brain damaged and Jesus helped you out. The resurrection proves that Jesus is Lord. In Romans 1, 4. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection is the main church message. It's the main message of the church. Listen, the cross and the resurrection needs to be preached all the time because it is the main message. To the apostle Paul, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to be lived out in everyday lives. In our everyday lives. Christianity is, like I said earlier, is the only religion, the only religion in the entire history of mankind where God is the one. It's not man and our human efforts to try to be made righteous. It's not our own good works. No, no, no. That no man may boast. It's a gift of God. It's, it's, It's the grace of God. It's a free gift for those who believe. It's the only religion that's like that. You don't have to strap bombs on you to go try to get, you know, favor. Listen to Allah and the God we're worshiping today. Not the same God. Oh, yeah, I said it. Want me to say some more while I'm stepping in it? (laughs) I'm just saying we have a loving God who reached down by his own arm. He wrought salvation. It says in Isaiah, he looked for a man. Who would stand in the gap could find none. So he did it himself. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. Can you say amen? Christianity. The cross, the resurrection is to be lived out in our everyday lives. I'm no longer a slave to sin for I can live a holy life. Everybody say that. I'm no longer a slave to sin for I can live a holy life. So many scriptures here. We'll just touch a few. Romans 6, 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way. In the what kind of way? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God for those who've been brought from death to life. He's referring to the fact that because there's a resurrection, you can live holy. 
Well, that was kind of a weak amen right there. Praise God. Let me, let me run that through one more time. Because of the resurrection, you can live. All right. Look at B. My past is forgiven. You can have a new life. Look, today's the first day of the rest of your life. You might as well just give your heart to Jesus and quit fighting him. You might as well live with every chamber of your being for God. There's nothing that'll satisfy you. No, not, not one thing. You're, my past is forgiven. Come on, say that. My past is forgiven. Say, I can live a new life. Yes, you can. You can get a new start. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation and the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Man, when I read that and I thought, wait a second, wait. Do you mean really like I can start over? When I was a kid, we used to take a tennis ball and throw it up on the roof of our house. And then you'd throw it up on the roof and it would come bouncing down the roof. And then we would call out one of our friend's names or my brother or something. And you'd throw it up and you'd have to call somebody's name out. So Johnny. And then, you know, Johnny would come and he'd look for the ball. It would hit the gutter and you'd try to catch it. And then you would throw the ball up and go, Steve. And, you know, Steve would have to catch the ball. And if you got three outs, in other words, if you missed the ball, it was coming down, bouncing off the gutter, well, then you're out. Kind of a little game movement. Occasionally, the ball, the tennis ball, would get stuck in the gutter. And when it got stuck in the gutter, we went do over, do over, to do over. And we'd have to get the little, you know, the little ladder, get up there and get it out of the gutter. You know what's wonderful? I ended up in a gutter. Anybody else? I ended up in a gutter. And when I found out when the scales were lifted from my eyes, when the God of this age who had blinded me to the glorious truth of Jesus, when that was lifted and all of a sudden I saw that he died in my place, I saw that I could be a new creature, new creature in Christ. And I saw that I could have a new life. I saw that my past could be forgiven. And man, I had some stuff. I had a bunch of things that I needed to be forgiven of. And still, you got to live a life of repentance. But when I saw that, I thought, oh man, it's a do-over. Do over. Up. Let's start over. That's that's what Jesus has done for you. It's what he's done for me. The resurrection power flows through me. Say that. For the resurrection power flows through me. For I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus on that third day that we're celebrating this morning, now this afternoon, will come to live inside of you. And quicken you and help you and strengthen you and flow from you through you to a loss and a hurting and a broken world. That is the truth of the power of the resurrection. So you don't say, I can't do it. No, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 15, 18. I'll not venture to speak of anything of what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Listen, you have, as a believer, you've got power, you've got authority. Some of you aren't using it. 
the Irish woman, I love this illustration, the Irish woman at the turn of the century, she gets light out to her, out to her home on the moors. And so the electric company hooks up that light, the electricity to her home on the moors, and she has one light bulb. And so a month goes by, and the electric company noticed that she's not using any power. There's no bill. I mean, very little. So they send a, a worker out, and the worker knocks on the door, and she answers the door and says, Oh, good morning to you. She says, Oh, ma'am, we've noticed that you, you haven't been using much electric, ma'am. We, is there a problem with the electricity that we've recently installed in your home? She says, Oh, there's no problem at all. He says, Well, do you mind if I check it then? Oh, no, go right ahead. So he checks it, and sure enough, it's working. He says, Well, we don't have any, any bill for you, really. That it's, there's hardly any wattage being used. And she says, Oh, well, I use it just long enough to light my lantern. <laughs> Some of you have power, but you don't use it. You've got power on the inside. You can overcome. You can conquer. You can face that addiction and command it to go. You can cause depression to leave if you'll rise in the power and authority and the same spirit, the what? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. Come on, somebody say amen. I can have eternal life. D, we're almost done. And heaven is my home. You see, without Jesus' death and resurrection, you can't have eternal life. There is no eternal life without the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.14, let me read that to you. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus to present us with you to himself. Listen, you can be saved, you can be healed, you be forgiven, but it's up to you. Look at E, Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back. For Thessalonians 1.10 talks about waiting for the revealing of the Son from heaven. First Thessalonians 4.14 says this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep. It's talking about the return and talking about those who've fallen asleep. It's not somebody napping, it's death. But death for the believer is just sleeping, it's not really death. The real death is thanatos in the Greek, it's separation from God forever. There is a hell to shun and there is a heaven to gain. Come on, someone say Jesus is coming back. My life is lived for Jesus. Say that. My life is lived for Jesus. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Say I'm a witness. Paul saw himself as a witness. He saw himself as somebody by his very existence declared that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus rose again from the grave. Acts 26, 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you, appoint you as a servant and as a witness of all that you've seen and heard. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not being a very good witness. 
You might, you might say right now that I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm being a good witness. Well, change. And maybe, maybe you've heard somebody say, but she's a Christian? I don't know about that. Listen, don't do that. No, no. Don't do that. You don't know where she or he was before they gave themselves to Jesus. You don't know how far they've come from. You don't know what they've walked through. Don't sit in judgment of somebody, whether it's saved or not. Nobody knows that but the Lord. Oh, but you will see it in their life, a life that's changed. Yeah. Hallelujah. Would you just lift your hands for a moment, and then I want to show you something. Well, just lift your hands for a moment. Ask God to touch you all across this place. Holy Spirit. So why do we have to lift our hands? It's biblical. Hebrews, yada. It's just surrender. If you're not able to, that's okay. Just do it on the inside. Give him all the honor. Worship him for a moment. God, thank you for what you've done. We give you praise. Amen. Put your hands together, won't you? Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.